Happy Friday. This is Andrew, and you're listening to Apostate JW. When most people see the Jehovah's Witnesses in their neighborhood, they may be inclined to go inside, close the doors, and act like no one is home. A lot of times I remember going to the doors while in the ministry, and you hear the TV blasting. When nearly pounding on the door to get the householder to come to the door, I would usually get irritated about why they aren't coming to answer. Many people are unaware of what they may hear at the door. They just know they don't want to hear it. Well, their door-to-door ministry is just a small portion of what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach. What are the fundamentals of the Watchtower? How have they arrived at their beliefs? The Jehovah's Witnesses began in 1881 when the Zion's Watchtower Society was founded. Their members were known as the Bible students and followed the teachings of Pastor Charles Taze Russell. Pastor Russell was a Restorationist minister and was influenced by the writings of William Miller. Restorationists are of the belief that Christianity has been or should be restored along the lines of what is known about the apostolic early church, which Restorationists see as the search for a purer and more ancient form of the religion. Pastor Russell never claimed to be a prophet or to be bringing new teachings to the Christian doctrine. He also did not set out to start a new religion, only to gather those who were seeking the truth of God's word during this harvest time. Harvest being the time of the end spoken of in Matthew 13, 24 through 30. He presented another illustration to them, saying, The kingdom of the heavens may be likened to a man who sowed fine seed in his field. While men were sleeping, his enemy came and oversowed weeds and among the wheat and left. When the stalk sprouted and produced fruit, then the weeds also appeared. So the slaves of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow fine seed in your field? How then? Does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy, a man did this. The slave said to him, Do you want us then to go out and collect them? He said, No, for fear that while collecting the weeds you uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the harvest season I will tell the reapers, First collect the weeds and bind them in bundles to be burned up. Then gather the wheat into my storehouse. He even advised against organization in the September 15th, 1895 issue of Zion's Watchtower under the title concerning profitable meetings. We have received a number of requests from friends of the truth for advice as to the most profitable methods of conducting meetings. One brother writes, a few brethren who have been reading Don express their willingness to meet somewhere to study in consecutive order. And I ask suggestions for a plan suited to beginners. Pray for us that we may commence this study in the right way and be the recipients of many blessings. Yours in faith, J.W. McLean. Another brother recently moved to a new neighborhood says, I find in this locality a fine field for labor. Several here to whom I have given tracts already manifest interest. I have conversed freely with them on Bible subjects and have their promise to attend meetings at my house. So if you can aid me by suggestions, I will be thankful. 
I am, dear brother, yours in service of the Master. Joshua L. Green Another brother writes, We have a number of persons here who wish to assemble themselves together for worship. We would be pleased to have some instructions from you as to how to go about it. I hope you can give us some way which will be satisfactory. Some of us have left the churches and are now free from all prophets of men. To speak for myself, I left the Presbyterian Church. Yours in Christ, C. C. Fleming. Russell's response was, Beware of organization. It is wholly unnecessary. The Bible rules will be the only rules you will need. Do not seek to bind others' consciences, and do not permit others to bind yours. Believe and obey so far as you can understand God's word today. And so continue growing in grace and knowledge and love day by day. He also published a book series that is now titled Studies in the Scripture, which also serve as a Bible study aid for many early Bible students. Pastor Russell's teachings differed from most Catholic and Protestant teachings. His view on hell was that 144,000 had been raised to heaven and that the rest were awaiting in their grave for admission to, into paradise instead of in hell. He taught that instead of a trinity, Jesus had received his divine power from God and that the Holy Spirit was not a person, but God's manifestation of power. According to Pastor Russell, the second coming of Christ happened in 1874, and Christ was ruling from heaven. When World War I broke out in 1914, he interpreted that as the beginning of Armageddon. He believed that God's favor had been restored to the Jews. He conducted a meeting in 1910 with many Jews in attendance. At this meeting, he instructed the Jews not to convert to Christianity, which surprised both Jews and Christians alike. He believed the land that is now Israel belonged to the Jews and stressed that in 1914 prophetically marked the time when Gentile nations no longer had earthly authority. He said that all Jews were, from that time onward, permitted and guided by God to gather to Palestine and to reclaim the land boldly for themselves. Pastor Russell died on October 31st, 1916. The board of directors oversaw the operations until January 6th, 1917. January 6th, 1917, Joseph Franklin Rutherford was elected president of the Watchtower Society unopposed. During this vote, the powers of his office were expanded to include executive officer and general manager of the society. Four months later, four of the seven board members of the society felt that they had wrongly voted to expand the powers of the president, claiming Rutherford had become autocratic. The judge, as Rutherford was often referred to, gained a legal opinion that said that these four were never legal board members and had them expelled and escorted off the premises by the police. During his 25 years as president of the society, many of Pastor Russell's teachings had been reversed or even erased from doctrine. Without the knowledge of the board of directors or the editorial staff, Rutherford had The Finished Mystery published in 1917, the supposed seventh and final book in Russell's Study in the Scripture series. This volume gave an interpretation of the Bible books of Ezekiel, Revelation, and the Song of Solomon. It was referred to as the true interpretation of these books, just like other recent releases from the Watchtower Society. It was referred to as being of the Lord and prepared under his guidance. It was later discovered to not be the work of Russell, but instead the work of Clayton J. Woodworth and George H. Fisher, two of Russell's associates, 
and edited by Rutherford. It was during this era that a director of the congregation was instituted. In 1920, the direction was given for all members to report field service time to the organization. In 1922, an emphasis was put on the ministry at a convention in Cedar Point, Ohio, when the announcement was made to advertise, advertise, advertise the king and his kingdom. A member stated, that celebrated day was the real beginning of the kingdom advertising campaign that today has encircled the earth. During his term as president, Rutherford announced that Abraham and Isaac would be resurrected in 1925, marking the beginning of Christ's earthly reign. In 1931, at a convention in Columbus, Ohio, the Bible students finally became the Jehovah's Witnesses, based on Isaiah 43.10. You are my witnesses, declares Jehovah. Yes, my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and have faith in me and understand that I am the same one. Before me, no God was formed, and after me, there has been none. This change was ultimately made to separate the Bible students from other Russellites who had separated over the years. The teaching of saluting the flag being a form of idolatry was instituted and further defined the witnesses as being politically neutral. In 1929, Rutherford believed that Gideon, David, Barak, Samson, Japheth, Joseph, and Samuel would be resurrected to earth in the very near future. He commissioned the building of Bessarum, or House of the Princes, in San Diego, California, as an earthly home for these princes to return to and have an earthly rule from. Ultimately, Rutherford died in Bessarum on January 8, 1942 and a home was subsequently sold, proving the prophecy wrong of these princes' return. Now that we got some of the founding histories out of the way, let's look at the doctrine. The Jehovah's Witnesses have a firm belief in dates, even though over the years they have had to change their viewpoint on certain dates. One of the big ones for the Witnesses is 1914. When Christ returned invisibly, reestablished God's heavenly kingdom, cast demons out of heaven, and ultimately ushered in the last days. How did the Watchtower arrive at such a random date that just so happens to be within the early days of the Watchtower society? Let's dive into some of the strange math the Witnesses have. The Witnesses mark 607 BCE as the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonians. In the appendix of What Does the Bible Really Teach book, the Witnesses cite Revelation 12, 6, and 14. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God, and where they would feed her for 1,260 days. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman, so that she might fly into the wilderness to her place, where she is to be fed for a time and times, and half a time away from the face of the serpents. Here we see three times 1,260 days. The Bible teach book says the seven times would last twice as long, which would be 2,520 days. I know this may be sound like I'm leaving something out here, but honestly, I'm taking this directly from the book. They further say the Gentile nations did, did not stop trampling on God's rulership a mere 2,520 days after Jerusalem's fall. They reference Numbers 14.34. According to the number of the days that you spied out the land, 40 days, a day for a year, a day for a year, you will answer for your errors 40 years 
for you will know what it means to oppose me. And Ezekiel 4, verse 6, And you must complete them. Then for a second time you will lie down on your right side, and you will carry the guilt of the house of Judah for forty days. A day for a year, a day for a year, is what I have given you. These scriptures are spelling out a day for a year. In this situation, they are taken out of context to apply these 2,520 days into 2,520 years. With this math, they come to the year 1914 from 607 BCE. As the beginning of the times of the end, this is why the witnesses have a firm belief that we are in the last days of the last days. When we dig into the actual history of the fall of Jerusalem, we see historians agree on the fact that Jerusalem fell in 587 or 586 BCE, which falls in line with the scripture found at 2 Kings 25 verse 8. In the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, that is, in the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the chief of the guard, the servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. This shows the siege was in the 19th year of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar began his rule in 605 BCE when his father, Nabu-Pileshar, died. Simple math would give you an estimate around the years 587 to 586 BCE. Another core doctrine of the Jehovah's Witnesses is that only 144,000 will go to heaven and rule as princes. In Revelation 7 verse 3 and 4 and 9 through 12, it says, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until after we have sealed the slaves of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000, sealed out of every tribe of the sons of Israel. After this I saw, and look, a great crowd, which no man was able to number, out of all the nations and tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, dressed in white robes, and there were palm branches in their hands. And they kept shouting with a loud voice, saying, Salvation we owe to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell face down before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Let the praise and the glory and the wisdom and the thanksgiving and the honor and the power and the strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And Revelation 14, verse 1 and 4 through 5. Then I saw and look, the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who have his name and the name of his father written on their foreheads. These are the ones who did not defile themselves with women. In fact, they are virgins. These are the ones who keep following the Lamb, no matter where he goes. These were brought from among mankind as the first fruits to God and to the Lamb, and no deceit was found in their mouths. They are without blemish. These are the only two times in the Bible where the number is ever mentioned. As we see both the 144,000 and a great crowd were in heaven, the great crowd class, according to the witnesses, are those who will live eternally in a paradise earth. The witnesses also believe that the 144,000 are every Christian who has ever been born up until 1935. Again, I think the governing body needs some basic math classes to better interpret its beliefs. Using their math, in the year 95 AD, 40,000 Christians were martyred. In 1935, 52,000 witnesses partook of the emblems. 
the witness form of communion reserved only for the anointed 144,000 remnants. If we take those numbers, we come to there only being 52,000 slots for faithful Christians remaining to get into heaven. Over the course of 1,840 years, we can't say for sure, but it seems like there would have been many more Christians than this. If you average it out using these numbers, there would only be somewhere around 28 true Christians per year. For those who were born in 1935, their current age would be 87 years old. If you were to attend a memorial of Christ's death at a kingdom hall, we see many more who are younger partaking of the emblems. Again, something only a member of this 144,000 would be doing. Up until 2007, the Watchtower had criticized those who were not of this generation who would partake. The August 15, 1996 Watchtower said this, Over the years, some, even ones newly baptized, have suddenly begun to partake. In several cases, after a while, they acknowledged that this was an error. Some have recognized that they partook as an emotional response to perhaps physical or mental strain. But they came to see that they really were not called to heavenly life. They asked for God's merciful understanding. This is re very reminiscent of the Pharisees who were called out in Matthew 23:13. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut up the kingdom of the heavens before men. For you yourselves do not go in, neither do you permit those on their way in to go in. In the May 1st, 2007 Watchtower, new light was shed on this saying, As time has gone by, some Christians baptized after 1935 have witnessed born to them that they have the heavenly hope. Thus, we cannot set a specific date for when the heavenly hope ends, thus marking an end to their belief that the heavenly calling has ended. This, however, still does not explain how they come to the understanding of there being 144,000 faithful who are going to heaven when there has clearly been a greater number. Bible scholars have agreed that these scriptures in Revelation are of a figurative group. In 1961, the Watchtower Society began publishing the combined work of the New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures. Before this, the use of the King James Version in English-speaking congregations was prevalent. The New World Translation was originally conceived because other texts at the time were written in an archaic language, mostly Old English. They also make a point of saying that since the publishing of the KJV, more manuscripts have come to light, making the argument for the need for a more accurate Bible translation. When the inception of the idea of a new translation came about, a committee was organized in 1947. The members of this body were not known because, in their opinion, they did not want to advertise themselves, but let all glory go to the author of the scriptures, God. In this Bible, the society restored the name of God to the texts. Over the years, Bible scholars have studied this translation. One found in How to Read the Bible for All Its Worth refers to the New World Translation as being an extremely literal translation filled with heretical doctrines. So even with the justification of needing a Bible in a living language, how do you justify filling it with heretical doctrine? Jehovah's Witnesses have a very different view of Christianity than most. However, they are not unique in their views. They do make these claims of being the only religion that is politically neutral, who are the only true religion, and that is the only Christians who will make it to paradise. In reality, many religions, both Christian and not, believe in these many things. Over the years, there have been schisms as well in the Bible students' teaching 
And those groups are still motivated by Pastor Russell's original teachings. I will cover some of those groups when we go into a more in-depth history. How many other subjects do the witnesses differ from mainline Christianity? Listen next week, and I will venture a little deeper into this topic. As always, I'd like to take a minute and thank everybody for listening this week. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns about what you've just heard, feel free to email me at apostatejw at gmail.com. And if you'd like to share your own story, please feel free to do so, and we will share it in one of our next podcasts. Thank you guys, and have a good night.